Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Pass. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Nation. I am Pat Lane. With me, as always, is Ryan Spagnoli. Spags, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Another great win that we'll get into. Um, I'll let you break it down who we're going to have today. Obviously, it's pretty, uh, if you're watching this on, you know, an Apple podcast, you can kind of tell, but go ahead, Pat. Yes. Well, if you if you haven't read or you're bad at reading or maybe <laughs> yeah. you can't read, I don't know. But we do have Phil Perry on uh, from NBC Sports Boston. Uh, another huge guest. We've just been, I mean, this is episode number seven. And we've just been coming in with the heat with guests left and right. Uh, you know, we've had Gasper, we've had Jeff Howe, we, you know, now we've had Phil Perry, we've had some really good, you know, Rossi last week, Matt Doloff, the first guest, and people were like, who's Matt Doloff? And now he's on all over, you know, doing the all over mass impressions and stuff. So it's uh, you know, we're doing pretty two pretty big things here. So it's good. And uh, you know, it's kind of nice because it fits in well. We are the least talented people on our podcast, which is the 100% the way it should stay. And uh, so we just keep bringing, keep bringing talent in to make us sound better. So that's all. <laughs> uh, so, of course, after Phil, we have our up high, down low, too slow. And then we'll get you guys out of here. But enjoy the, uh, the interview with Phil Perry. And here it is. All right. So we're going to welcome onto the show the Patriots reporter for NBC Sports Boston, Phil Perry. Phil, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, guys. How you doing there? I'm doing well, Phil. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your busy day to uh, discuss with us. We're both uh, big fans of your work, so uh, it's awesome to have you on the show. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. You can stay on TV. It's nice because you got the face for TV. Spags and I. Well, I won't speak for Spags, but I certainly have the face for radio, so it's, it works out well for me. <laughs> So Spags, you know, he might, he's got a little bit of face for TV, but not, <laughs> not me. So, um, but let's, I want to recap last week. Uh, we'll start with first because big win for the Patriots against Minnesota. Now, Minnesota, you know, they can, we can discuss, you know, how good Minnesota really is. Um, but either way, they're one of the best teams, in the NFC and the Patriots pretty much dominated them uh, and really, you know, should have destroyed them and, and, kind of fell apart in, you know, in the red zone a few times and whatnot. So, um, you know, kind of, and I guess the defense really has kind of trended upward. What, what's your big takeaway, I guess, from the game on Sunday? Yeah, it's, it's defensive related because that was, in my opinion, the most dominant performance they've had all year. And when we talk about the Patriots hitting their stride post Thanksgiving, the defense is, certainly doing that and not only are they hitting their stride in terms of just executing at a higher level and having good health which I think is huge for this group you know I mean 
when's the last time we talked about Dante Hightower being injured? And I know he's, you know, he's probably not the player that he was at his prime um, when healthy, but at least he's been out there and he's just such a difference maker in terms of communication when he can be out there for the defense. And so they're executing better, they're healthy, but they're also, they're getting creative. They're getting a little weird out there with Ryan Flores and some of these calls and showing blitz zero and smash, smash melt defense, baby. Yeah, it's, it's it's I think it's a it's a mentality for sure, which is yeah. I think what people would associate when they say Smash Mouth. But it's also schematically they can do so much, guys, because they're smart and because they're old. I think we looked at this defense before the season, like okay, well, I mean, how many guys are under twenty five and on this defense and going to be contributing long term? Like maybe Malcolm Brown, maybe, and yeah. and other than that, there really wasn't anybody. But you look at the secondary. You look at the linebacker level, you have guys that have been in this system for a really long time or an identical twin of someone who has been in the system for a really long time, and it allows you to do a lot of different things in terms of just being able to communicate on the fly after that Vikings team, talk to a bunch of the guys in the secondary, and a lot of those calls when they were you know, muddled in the box and showing that look, that loaded box sort of look, and you don't know who's coming and who's dropping into coverage, on a lot of those plays, up until right before the ball was snapped, those guys were talking to each other. Okay, I'm going to go this time. You get this guy over here. I, it's, it's almost like Sandlot football, but because they're all um, so ingrained in the system and because they all communicate so well with each other, they can do those things on the fly, and that that's really, I think, improved the unit overall. Yeah, so, I would yeah. have to agree with you too, especially with the defense. I mean, one of the things that I noticed too was, and you, you just touched upon it, that they, they seemed what, like – way more prepared than they had previous weeks. Obviously, you know, Bill does a great job on the staff with preparing them, but they just looked so out of sync in some games. They were so inconsistent. And I think that was their most complete football game yet, defensively, at least in the last couple of weeks. I mean, granted, Stephon Diggs was, you know, limited with a little knee. Obviously, he might not have been 100%. But, I mean, Kirk Cousins can sling it. Adam Thielen's arguably the best receiver in the league, and they limited them to 10 points. So, uh, I mean, I I thought it was a great – you know, game from the defense and, you know, the offense made plays when they had to. I would say this too, guys. I mean, imagine just going back like the last month or or even two months, maybe. Um, If you go back to that game in Tennessee and Stefan Gilmore does what I think we all thought he would do. I know the Patriots thought he would do this, but if he just is able to shut down Corey Davis, at least slow him down a little bit. Corey Davis uh, lit up Stephon Gilmore in that game, and that was one of the pillars of that game plan defensively for the Patriots. He really is the number one option at all times for Marcus Mariota, and Mariota is a, a one-read and, and go kind of quarterback, and they just were na- never able to, to take away that first read. So they, you know, so that hurts them. But if Gilmore is able to play a little bit better in that game, what are we saying about this defense right now? Because you go back and it's like there's just stacking solid performance on top of solid performance and they're now into the top 10 in terms of scoring defense and you know that that defense we were talking about post Kansas City where they're giving up 40 at home seems to be so far gone in the rear view that now we're looking ahead and we're saying okay if these guys are really able to make a run here if they're able to end up in Atlanta the defense might be what carries them there because I would argue right now they are they are playing better than your offense. They they have the it looks like unless the offense shows us something a little bit different this weekend down in Miami, 
Um, and we're going to get to, you know, their struggles in Miami in recent years. So I'm not all that confident that it's going to happen regardless of, of how bad the Dolphins actually are. But uh, unless the offense really shows you something here, it, it looks to me like it's going to be the defense that kind of carries you in, in a lot of ways at the end of the season. Right. And it's, it is really interesting. And I think Gilmore is one of those guys that's been so good. And you've mentioned Hightower and there were two guys in particular I wanted to talk about defensively because I think they're surprising guys. Certainly in the beginning of the year, they were guys that, you know, we didn't know what to expect from. And that's uh, Jason McCordy and Kyle Van Noy. And I think Gilmore does a lot for McCordy. You know, Gilmore's the number one rated, according to Pro Football Focus, Gilmore's the number one corner of the league. McCordy is like number eight. And I think that that stems from Gilmore being able to shut down the number one. Like you said, obviously he didn't do it in Tennessee, but Gilmore for the most part being able to shut down the number one and then McCourty can kind of take that number two, maybe with a little bit of help. He's been playing extremely well. And Van Noy is a guy who has played out of position because of injuries to Hightower. And so when he plays in Hightower's spot, he's not that good. He's okay, but he's not that good in that spot. But with Hightower in his position – and Van Noy in his correct position, I thought he's been really good, and I thought he was fantastic on Sunday. I thought Van Noy played um, maybe his best game of the year on Sunday against the Vikings because, and you just put it perfectly, when he can have that ability to be able to roam a little bit, be more of that that will linebacker and you know cover backs out of the backfield, and he's gotten burned before by backs out of the backfield. that guy in preseason because he's been great as your number two corner on the outside. 
But now it looks to me like he's going to be your number two in your base defense, which you're hardly playing ever anyway. But even if you're going big nickel and you just want to have two corners on the field, I think he's still going to be your number two guy on the outside. But if you want to lose three corners out there, if you're playing an offense that likes to run a lot of 11 personnel, a lot of three receiver sets, he's going to bump down into the slot. And he's a good tackler, and he's still athletic enough, still quick enough, in my opinion, to be able to run with some of those guys. And if you're facing a really, really good slot, like they did against Adam Thielen, then you can give him help. You can double him. You're doubling him on third down. You're doubling in the red zone. And so you can help him that way. But he's just such a smart player. He's such a good tackler. Uh, I think all those things would make him a good candidate to continue to use inside. And then hopefully you continue to get productive games from J.C. Jackson and you, you allow Jonathan Jones to kind of focus more on that special teams role because this year really just has not been Jonathan Jones's year defensively. Right. Uh, no, it's a good. I think it's a really good point. And Jackson, I think, has been uh, special. You know, well, I shouldn't say special. He's one of those guys now where he's another un- undrafted free agent, like Jones was, like Malcolm Butler was. You know, like Adam Butler was. Like, there's so many David guys in David Andrews, like over and over and over and over again. You got these guys that are undrafted free agents that make the team every year, and it's like all of a sudden they're good players. And Jackson's got some size to him, which is nice. And you know, if they're gonna let him get away with some of the stuff he got away with, because he had he was holding guys a few times when he went up for a few balls, but you know, overall, I thought he played extremely well. Um, you know, and so you know, like again, like I said, if if he can play the way he's playing. Now you got three corners that are playing well. I mean, how the heck are you going to score on that team? Yeah, I think with Jackson, the key for him is can he improve at a rate that kind of outpaces the number of targets he's going to see in coverage? Because when he is out there, and we saw this from Kirk Cousins, you'll probably see it from Ryan Tannehill. If he's out there, they're going to go after him because they saw what you saw, which is what the world saw, which is, a guy who's going to try to be physical. He's going to be physical down the field. He's a guy who is second in this, uh, in terms of this secondary, he's second in penalties only behind Stephon Gilmore, even though he hasn't even cracked the 200 snap barrier yet. So the guy is a, is a penalty machine. He has been this year, uh, but it's because of his style of play. He wants to be physical. He wants to put his hands on you. And he has a hard time with getting his head flipped around at times too. Now, I talked to Devin McCourty after the game. He said, and this was extremely high praise, but he said, when J.C. gets his head turned around, we haven't had a corner that tracks the ball as well as him. So that's mm. incredibly high praise. That but, is very, but yeah. it, there's, there's the big There's the big if, which is if he gets his head turned around. So right. it's an issue, and it's something that they're working on. Um, but if he continues to develop some confidence and he can – be a little bit more cognizant of making sure, okay, this is the timing of this route. This is the timing of the play. This is what our rush is. This is how much time they have to get this thing off. The ball should be coming now. I need to whip my head around and try to use my athleticism to make a play on the ball. Because once he does that, supposedly in practice, and we've seen he's got good hands, he's made a few picks, but in practice he's, he's supposedly lighting it up. It's really reminiscent, guys, of Malcolm Butler because you heard all the same things about Butler. When he first got here, making plays all over the practice field, just kind of needed to refine his technique a little bit. I think you're in a similar, even though they're very different in terms of build and and style of play, I think you're you're seeing a similar thing right now with J.C. Jackson. 
I couldn't agree more, Phil. And uh, and kind of you know switching it over to this week. Obviously, the Patriots. Um, um, they can clinch the AFC East again with a win in Miami. Maybe some other ties too that I'm not thinking of. But I mean, that's really not the story. Obviously, their struggles in Miami the past couple of years, uh, really, really all throughout Tom Brady's career. Um, you know, what, what's the keys to victory this week? And, and can they finally, you know, put an end to this, um, you know, streak that they've had? I think, Pat, you mentioned that they've lost, what, three of the last four or two of the last three down there late in the year? Yeah, they've lost, well, four of the last five down there. Four of the last five. Okay, so what, what, I mean, what are the keys that they got to do to, you know, kind of erase this? I mean, I know in past years when they play early in the year, it was the heat and, you know, kind of that excuse, if you want to say. But, I mean, there's no excuse now. There's no excuse. They're playing too good. <laughs> They, they should win this game. Let's say that first and foremost. But it has been an absolute disaster for them down in Miami late in seasons. Crazy. Go back all the way to when Tom Brady first got the starting job. And you look at every time that the Patriots played in Miami in December, they're 1-5 in, in Miami in December with Tom Brady's starting quarterback. Now, that's not a good number, but consider how good – the Patriots have been in December with Bill Belichick and with Tom Brady, both at home and on the road. The Patriots have only lost seven games total on the road in December with Brady and Belichick. Five of them have come in Miami. So they're this different team. We know how good they are late in the year. We know how many times have we heard it post Thanksgiving. Again, this is, this is when they want to be hitting their stride and they typically do that. But when they go to Miami late in the season, it all goes to hell for some reason, and it's really hard to explain. Tom Brady's passer rating in December is up over 92. In December in Miami, it's just a shade over 73. So that is a huge drop-off. His touchdown-interception ratio in these games in Miami in December is 9 to 10. So it's a totally different offense. It's a different quarterback. And these have not been, you know, incredibly talented uh, accomplished Dolphins teams. They're, you know, they're, a lot of them have been pretty middling to bad football teams. And for whatever reason, the Patriots have an issue. The heat is definitely an issue. The players that are on the team now won't use it as an excuse. Bill Belichick won't use it as an excuse. Uh, but we do the Expats podcast every week with Rob Nikovich, and he said it is a bear dealing with the heat down there. First of all, when you play those 1 o'clock games, the way Hard Rock Stadium is set up, it's set up in such a way that the sun, you actually get more sun on the visitor's bench than you do on the home bench. So that's one thing. So you're sitting there on the bench in between series, and you're sucking on oxygen because you're not used to the humidity. Even if you practice in the bubble and you jack up the heat, it, it just doesn't give you the same sort of feel. Uh, and, you're, you know, Mikovic would say, you know, we would be like loosening our, our shoulder pads, the straps on our shoulder pads, just so you could let your lungs kind of open up and get some more air in there. And it's when you're dealing with that, it's something as simple as, as catching your breath, it's hard to execute when you're out on the field, it's, no matter how bad the team is. So right. look for that. Look for that. Because they're practicing outside today. It's 35 degrees. It's going to be a difference of almost 50 degrees when they go to Miami. It's going to be in the low 80s, and there's going to be thunder showers. It's going to be humid. So it, this is going to be an issue. I'm not expecting them to go down there and dominate because it's just not – what they've done. I would say just if you're looking at on paper, the matchup, the key to me is keeping pressure off Brady from the edges and their tackles have been really good lately. So Trent Brown, Marcus Cannon, you got to do a good job on Robert Quinn, Cameron Wake, Akeem Spence uh, has been a good player for them lately. 
Um, and I would think offensively, too, you want to make sure that you're getting something going down the field. I mean, we saw just how long it took for them to get Josh Gordon involved, Rob Gronkowski. And, you know, what the Patriots would tell you is, well, cover two, their safety's over the top. We're not really going to be pushing it down the field. And I get that. I would try to incorporate, if not down the field, at least outside the numbers a little bit more. Even if there's two safeties, there's certain routes you can You can still throw passes to the outside. You know, there are a lot of defenses out there running cover two or cover five with, with split safety coverages. And they're not just ignoring their, their ex receivers. So you got to get those guys involved a little bit, I think, because if you don't uh, and you make it, if you're a little bit too predictable, I think this defense does have some talent and, uh, and it'll be tough for you to score points given the way your offense is playing right now. So, so you're saying don't hand the ball off to Steven Jackson 20 times. <laughs> don't try to make uh, a first down or two first downs or whatever that story was. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's such a, uh, it's such a, a, a mind game um, thing that, that football coaches, even Bill Belichick, aren't immune to. Uh, we saw it in New York. Sony Michelle yeah. uh, and James White combined for three carries to start that game because they wanted to prove they could run the football. They were challenged throughout the week. They wanted to run the football. And how many times have we seen them open a game with street, three straight runs? And yeah. that was what it was. And they ended up getting that first round, that first down, and all of a sudden things can open up from there. They can do what they want. But that was, as far as I understand it, that was that was sort of the the, the mission that that night. And um, I don't think we're going to see the same thing this time around. I would hope not. Now, I have a conspiracy. That was 20, obviously 2015. I have a conspiracy theory that I heard, and I want to I wanna share it with you because I think it's interesting. It's crazy, like most conspiracy theories are, but it's interesting. So 2015, yeah. they lost the last two games to the Jets and the Dolphins. The Jets, as you remember, they won the toss at the start of overtime and elected to kick the ball instead of receiving, which was just insane. But – you know, from Belichick, that wasn't that wasn't Slater screwed up. That was Belichick told them to, to kick the ball off, and then they open up the Miami game with all those runs and they ran everything. So what I heard, and again, this is a, a total conspiracy theory and sounds crazy, but the Patriots were worried that the only team that could beat them would be the Steelers, and the Steelers were the number four seed. And if the Patriots had end up at the, as the number one seed, they would come to New England and would have a chance to knock off the Patriots. And instead, of course, they go to Denver. But that was the game that Cincinnati couldn't possibly lose that game. And Cincinnati lost that game, and Perfect almost decapitated Antonio Brown. So he was out of that game with a concussion, and they and the, the Broncos just ended up squeaking out that victory over Pittsburgh. So when Pittsburgh goes in, um, so then Patriots have to go to Denver, and they lose in Denver in the AFC Championship game. And so I look at that and just said, like, it's crazy, but it, I mean, it kind of explains the ridiculous decisions that Belichick made in those two games. Well, I, so I can't get on board with the Jets game they, uh, and just in, and how that played out. There was so much confusion on that coin toss and what happened there uh, that it's hard for me to, to say that that was like a well-thought-out, well-executed thing on both, both ends by Belichick and, and Slater. I will say this about that, that Dolphins game, though, because I remember arguing this at the time, but they were so banged up. Their offensive line was a mess. Soldier was on IR. Homer was dealing with a ton of injuries. They, they had to play – that was the year they had to play Brian Stork at right tackle in New York earlier that season because they were so hurt. 
and they just had nothing up front. Even the guys that were out there, quote unquote, you know, healthy were just a mess. And so my take on that finale was if you lose it, it's not a big deal. You're better off resting your guys. Keep those guys, keep Julian Edelman off the field if you can. Play him a half, play him a quarter. It really, like, to me, your health at that point in the year was the bigger deal. And it was almost like they approached it from a totally, like that, you know, first of all, they wouldn't even consider that as what it felt like given the game plan because they just tried to run it down their throats all game and they, they just couldn't figure it out. Um, but it just it felt like that was not what they were interested in. They, they wanted to win that game. They also wanted to show they could run the football because it was late in the season and we want to be a tough team and we want to have the psychological edge on whoever we're playing and we want to be able to, to, to be uh, you know run the football, stop the run, cover kicks. That's what we are. That's what we want to be. That is what toughness is. Uh, you know, as defined by the Patriots, and they couldn't do that. So they didn't. They weren't able to stay healthy. They weren't able to run the ball. They weren't able to show their toughness, and they ended up with a matchup they didn't want. So I would say uh, that's a, that's a bingo right there. Yeah, it was that was just brutal. And I remember that. I remember watching that that Burfett game and just thinking like the Bengals couldn't possibly lose that game. And yet they still, and you're just like, how could you have possibly lost that game? And and what's crazy about it is that if Cincinnati holds on and wins that game, Kansas City goes to Denver, and uh, Cincinnati comes to New England, and maybe Kansas City knocks off Denver, and then we get Kansas City in the AFC Championship game instead of instead of having to go to Denver, and maybe we then win another Super Bowl. You know, so it's just like, uh, it's anyways, well, you know what's it's crazy just, too is is if they. I think all Brady had to do, and now we're just like so deep into the 2015 season for some reason, but right. Right. it was the worst season ever. Rob Gronkowski in the back of the end zone yeah. uh, the at the conversion. end of that game for the two-point conversion, Then and, and Gronk was an absolute monster in that game. I mean, he almost yeah. like single-handedly willed them to the Super Bowl that day because, again, they were just – they were a shell of themselves physically and, and injury-wise, but – that's how close they were. So they, you know, even despite everything we're talking about, they were, they were sniffing it. They were right there. Yeah. So listen, we're talking a little bit, a little bit about Belichick. And I do want to go back. This is kind of taking us back to the, to the Minnesota game, but I'm curious about the two challenges. I was at the game. I'm a season ticket holder. So I was at the game and I sit uh, in the end zone. So I have a pretty good view of, of everything that kind of Rudolph catch. Now, I don't know what your opinion is last year. Obviously it's an incompletion this year. That's not even a question. That's clearly a completion. He catches the ball. He takes two steps. He he's puts the other foot down, and the ball gets knocked away. Out of bounds, though. And so, to me, it was like there's. it's not even close to an incompletion. And my biggest issue that I had with it is that the game was still kind of close at that point. If you lose that challenge, which they did, you have two timeouts left. If you now have to challenge something else, which they did, and they lost that second one, which you could talk about was absolutely atrocious. Um, yeah, I just I was shocked that they used it there. I just thought it was a bad challenge. So I don't know what your opinion is uh, was of it, or you know if Belichick had anything to say about. it. I know he said a little bit about it, um, but you know what? What are your thoughts on that? I think he felt like both were were borderline, um, but I would say. When it comes to the catch rule, as a coach who's making these calls, do I challenge, do I not challenge, what are they going to end up saying? Just when in doubt, 
they're going to call it a catch. That's, I think, the rule that you're just going to have to abide by from here on out. Whether it's a, it's a catch, the third foot is halfway down, they're, they're in the boundary, they're going out of bounds, they're in the end zone, there's different, you know, there's different areas of the field where, you know, maybe, you know, uh, the officials should be considered. No, it just if, if it's anywhere close, they're going to give it to the offense. It's going to be a catch. This is what they wanted to do when they changed the rule. They want to make it. They, I, I think this is the idea. Let me, let me revise. They're not necessarily <laughs> going to call it a catch. They're not necessarily going to call it a catch. They're going to call it whatever it is that benefits the offense. So if what happened with Kyle Rudolph happened in the middle of the field and that thing ends up being a fumble that the defense recovers, would you be shocked if they called that a, a fumble and a recovery by the defense, or, or would you be shocked right. if they call it an incompletion? I, I just think this is the way the league wants things to be now is when in doubt, it's going to the offense. So if it, if it helps Minnesota move the ball, it, it's going to help them move the ball. If it, if it ends up being a fumble and a recovery, it's not going to be a fumble. It's going to be an incompletion. I just think that's what it's going to be because that, the, the old rule was better. You, you knew for sure. And so I, all I think that explains, and, you, and I give you credit, Pat, because you're like all over and you're 100% confident that that was – a completion, and I agree with you now because again, I I think it, it helped the offense. It was going to be called a completion no matter what, and I thought that at the time. Right. But I think it just goes to show even Ernie Adams and Bill Belichick don't understand the new catch rule. So that's yeah, that's how that's, complicated that's it is. Something. That's how confusing it is. So yeah. you know, like the the old rule was more black and white to me. The old rule that was clearly not a catch. Uh, that one felt better right. to me too because you're not going to have these kinds of situations that I'm talking about where. You have what looks like a catch for a split second, and maybe he's kind of making a move. Is he trying to tuck it? Is he not? And all of a sudden, it's a fumble. I don't know how there haven't been more questionable fumble calls. Like, I, I thought with the new rule, we were going to see this, like, all year. And this is what Belichick has said. If you want to change the rule to what it is, like, do you want a million fumbles? Well, they changed the rule, and we haven't had a million fumbles. And I don't know how that has been the case, but it right. hasn't. So, you know, I guess it's worked out great for the league. But uh, but that's that's my take on on that is that um, I I think it's so confusing that even you know Ernie Adams and in, in his machine up in the in the at the press box level couldn't figure out whether that was a catch or not. Right, and that second that ch- that spot, I mean I I, I mean you saw the guys on the defensive players were celebrating. They just, he didn't even get to the line of scrimmage. I thought he lost a half a yard, and they gave him the first down, and then they reviewed it. And you could clearly see he didn't have it, and they still gave it to him. It was just like it was that one was mind numbing for me. That crew was atrocious spotting the football all oh, game, both sides. They just could, I don't know. Like, was there a vision problem with with the the you know the judges on the side? Like, I I honestly can't remember a game where you seen you saw so many missed spots, and I kind of I guess I get why couldn't overturn it on the replay like maybe they felt like they didn't have the perfect angle right down the line so it was hard to overturn I don't believe when they announced it that they said that uh the call was confirmed I think no, they just they said it was upheld stands. because yeah. because they didn't have enough evidence so it's very rare I'll just say this it's very rare that you go to multiple players after the game and have them basically openly criticize the officiating and say we got that one. I, you know, like it's out of our control, but we got that one. That was a turnover on down. And then have Belichick. I don't know if you saw this. 
but on Belichick's uh, weekly breakdown of the play from the week uh, from the week prior's game with Zolak on Patriots.com, he used that play as as an example of great defense, and it was almost like his way of <laughs> of, of pointing out to the league, like you guys really screwed this one up. Yeah, that's great. That's great because they did. I mean, and you're right. It wasn't just that play. I remember a few different plays where it was like the guy goes down at like the 46 and they give him the 48. Or the guy goes well, down at the, the 47 and they give him the 45. The like, catch. They tried, to, they tried to give the Patriots a first down on that one. And Zimmer challenged it. And they actually did overturn that one. Right. They must have felt like they had a better look close. at it. That was right. Ridic- that you're right. Close. That was insane. You're right. I don't, so I don't get it. I don't know if it's like a hustle thing on the, those judges on the sideline, but somebody, you know, somebody must have got a, a at least like a slap on the wrist for that one from the league. Right. Phil, uh, touching upon the running backs real quick before we get into Pat's little hot take, hot topic uh, part of the show to finish up. Um, I want to talk about the running backs because I think a lot of people. I mean, not not including you. I'm just saying, like a lot of people in the Patriots, you know, fans and everything, they overlook you know, the value that Rex Burkhead has. And you saw, you know, first game off of IR, he, he did do pretty well, um, you know, both running the ball. I think he had a couple catches too. He's such a reliable piece to that offense when he's healthy. Um, you know, he and, and, and I think the biggest thing is too is it's giving, you know, guys like Michelle and White who haven't played this much football late into the year in their career. You know, White's already over his career, uh, career high in touches, and obviously Michelle's first year in the league, and he's been battling some injuries since training camp. If they can get Burkhead on the field and healthy, it just makes that three-headed monster. And I think, personally, they have the best backfield in the NFL as far as depth goes with those three. Yeah, I would have to look at, at some, um, some depth tracks around the league, but it is a talented group, and it has the potential to be a Yeah, I mean, obviously, group. you know, you'd rather have some of those other guys, but I'm saying, like, you know, with those three together – it's it, it's a three-headed monster because they can all play. They can, and so, right, Bulkhead's issue has been staying on the field, and it's yeah. been an issue for a while. But, I mean, when he's out there, I mean, you'll find no bigger fan of Burkhead's skill set than me. When they acquired this guy, was all over it at, in terms of this guy can be an all-purpose back for you. Cincinnati couldn't find touches for him because they had Gio Bernard and they had Jeremy Hill. And they, they just couldn't figure it out. He was playing special teams. And, you know, when he got a chance, he played the Ravens at the end of the year two years ago and lit them up. That was the best or one of the top three best run defenses in the league at the time. And he just he destroyed them. And it was, you know, it was, there were some good blocks made for him uh, by the Bengals that day. But a lot of it was you were seeing him make Deion Lewis-type jump cuts and I, that may sound like you know slanderous uh you know Deion Lewis is, is one of the most entertaining running backs that I've ever watched uh certainly in a Patriots uniform but I would say period just in terms of creating something out of nothing and vision and being able to use lateral quickness and lateral burst and then acceleration north and south to create yards for yourself Burkhead had that Burkhead has that when he's on his he can be a kind of guy that you flex out and use a resist as a receiver, use him as a slot, use him out you know from that dot position in the backfield. You can use him out of the eye formation. They used him in, they used him at the goal line at times last year, and it worked out for them. So 
he really can do everything. He just has to stay in the field. And what's great about Burkhead now at this point in the year is at, at least his legs should be fresh, right? So the injury was, was above the shoulders. He went out with a neck injury. He's had some knee injuries in the past. Um, and so that's what he landed on IR with. It wasn't like he sprained his knee or, he, you know, he, he tore his ankle up. He, you know, the legs should be good. And so I, I would think that they're only going to try to work them in more here as we get later into the season. Because like you said, those other two guys have been absolutely taxed. Uh, and Burkhead just gives you that ability to do either role. He can be James White. He can be Sony Michelle. And I'm not saying he's going to be getting 25 touches next week or the week after that, but he allows you to dial back the workload for those other two guys, which I think is really important because Michelle, we know, has dealt with injury. But White has been banged up here as well. Uh, I think it was against the Packers. He dealt with a, a knee issue, and he ended up coming back in the game, and he looked okay. I just don't know if he's been as explosive. And any rest you can get either of those two guys with Burkhead back is a big help. Well, I agree 100%. And, and, and like you said, I mean – Burkhead is not, he's not injured right now. And yes, if he's fragile and he gets injured, like there's nothing you can do about it, but you have to try to save, you know, not, not save, but you know, do your best to make sure that Michelle and white are playing when the playoffs roll around. And obviously you want Burkhead there too. He makes your offense a lot more dynamic, but even if you don't have Burkhead, if you just have Michelle and white, you have some things you can deal with. And Michelle's caught a few passes out of the backfield as well. And so I think that he can do that if he needs to. Um, and Burkett is a great guy to kind of spell both of those guys, like you said, where he can do a little bit of both. And so, you know, use him while you have him because hopefully by using all three, you can save all three of them because you can split their workload. Definitely. And, and using Michelle as a receiver out of the backfield is something that, um, to me, it's been apparent. They've been trying to do a little bit more of that lately. Now, it did not go well for them early in the year with Michelle catching the football uh, and doing it reliably. But the last couple of weeks, you've seen them kind of sprinkle in some targets for Sony Michelle here and there, and he's been productive. He's caught it, and he's put it away, and he's gotten upfield, and you know, you've seen a couple of seven, eight-yard games out of the guy. And so that's right. something that I think you know they know he can do. They, they saw him do it. At Georgia, there's just so much more at the pro level in terms of protection and when can I leave and when do I stay and uh, what what's my release and where you know there's a lot to figure out and so I think now that we're so late in the year, it's allowed him to pick up on some of those things and so you may see him use more as a receiver here moving forward. No, I like it. It's a good point. So uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, this week and and the weeks moving forward. Like you say, it's just. Just get down to Miami and do your job and, and win down there because really it's not the team because the team kind of stinks. It looks like they're going to be without Xavier Howard. And so, you know, he's the best cover corner. So you shouldn't you shouldn't have a tough time moving the ball on the team. And yet you might just because of the conditions and where they are. And they always have historically had a hard time. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. But that's it just always seems to go go south down there. Literally, I guess. <laughs> but one saving grace, I mean, uh, again, I think there is some talent defensively down there for them. And so it, it, I think it's going to be hard for the Patriots offense, honestly. Even with, with Howard out, they've been using Minka Fitzpatrick a little bit more on the outside. Really good athlete, really smart player, good size, can be physical. Like Howard is, a, is a, their best corner, no doubt. And Adam Gay said today he might be 
their best player, period. So if he's gone, that's a big loss for them. But, you know, they have Rashad Jones this week. They didn't have him week four. Again, the front is okay. So the defense, I think, could make it tough for the Patriots at times. I can't envision a scenario where Ryan Tannehill does anything of note against this Patriots defense. I really can't. I know, like, again, the heat, whatever, maybe the Patriots defense is, is sucking wind midway through the first quarter, and they're able to use whoever it is, Kenny Stills, um, to, to, you know, break a couple 40-yard catches against the tired secondary. But it's really hard for me to try to conjure up that, that image in my mind. I just I feel like this is an offense that has no chance this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, one of the guys on that offense, and I don't know if he's even going to be playing this week, uh, is Danny Amendola, and I, I wrote an article this week for, for Pat's Pulpit, and I uh, thought we could talk about it just a little bit. And it basically was comparing the Patriots' careers of Danny Amendola and Wes Welker. And, you know, it's interesting because people now, because it's what have you done for me lately, and it's Boston, so the only thing that really matters is championships, have kind of jumped to Amendola's side and said that Amendola had a more productive career than Welker or was a better Patriot than Welker. And one thing, and I, and I just, just quickly for, for anyone listening and Phil, I don't know if you know the exact number, so I'll just kind of run, run through Welker played here for six years. Now I, I was like, uh, he was fantastic when he was here, but I was like, okay, you know, 500 catches or so he had 672 catches in six years. That's an average of 112 catches a year, 7,459 yards and 37 touchdowns. He is number one all-time in the Patriots in receptions, number three all-time in yards, and number eight all-time in receiving touchdowns. He had 100-plus receptions in five out of six years. He he played in nine playoff games. And so the playoffs, I was like, oh, well, Danny must be killing him in the playoffs because, you know, he played in nine playoff games. He had 69 catches in nine playoff games with 686 yards and four touchdowns. And he had – and in, in – Super Bowl 42, when the Patriots offense was terrible and struggled and scored 14 points, he had 11 catches for 103 yards receiving. Tied a Super Bowl record with Deion Branch for most receptions and had exactly 30 yards less than Branch when he won the MVP three years earlier. And so we all know and remember what Amendola did, but the numbers for Welker, I mean, I know he's got the drop pass. I know you look at that, but it's like... Oh, don't even bring it up. You know, but... I. I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your take is on that, Phil, but I feel like that's at least forty percent on Brady, in my opinion. He got his hands on. He's got to make the. He's got to make the catch. But that ball was a bad throw. It didn't need to be put in that spot, and that was a tough catch, you know. And he should have caught it. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have, but I'm saying you can't put the blame all on Welker for that one. He should have caught it. It was a bad throw. Both things can be true in the same play, which they were for that play. I would say that this is why this is such a great discussion, because because at its core, it's do you care about the postseason or do you care about the regular season? And, you know, I understand. I totally get it. You know, why fans would choose Danny Amendola there? Because you have so many memorable Amendola moments in the postseason. I mean, the guy not only played a huge role in both Super Bowl wins in 14 and 16, he also dominated in the AFC Championship game against the Jaguars um, mm-hmm. recently. 
He had a great game against the Ravens back in 2014, that divisional round game. He obviously caught that, you know, the double pass from Edelman. But he he had the two-point conversion against the the Falcons late in that Super Bowl. So, so many good moments. And And he also also had – I'm sorry to cut you off, but he also had 152 yards receiving against the Eagles last year, which I told my father that because we – you know, I mean – He's a, he's been a patriot. He's had season tickets in sixty seven, and he was like one fifty two. He's like, wait, what, are you kidding me? It should have been more. If if Brady hits Amendola in stride early in that game on that play where he's wide open, where the right. Eagles just totally forgot to cover him, that should have been another whatever it was thirty yards, twenty five yards of a touchdown. Uh, yeah. But the the areas just in terms of like their skill set, um, Amendola had a better catch radius welker was far more durable i would say they were similar in terms of their their quickness um and their hands but again amadola's hands really kind of stood out because he really made some acrobatic insane catches on passes that i don't think welker would have caught uh, he was just more bound up and that allowed i think you know the reason welker was more durable it's no coincidence that amadola could make the more acrobatic catches but he's he's not as durable Welker was this, you know, thick, you know, for a five eight guy or whatever he was, well put together little slot receiver who could just take an absolute beating over the middle of the field. Whereas Amendola really wasn't the same guy that had to try to manage him. And you look at just Amendola's snap counts, even in the season where he's healthy, later in his Patriots career, they started to figure that out. Okay, we can't use this guy as like a regular player in our offense. If we want him in the postseason because he's good and because Tom trusts him. We need to make sure he's healthy. And so you saw there were a couple of years, I think 2014, I want to say he had, in terms of the regular season, he had like 23 or 25 catches total yeah, in 2014. Right. Yeah. But he still played a huge role in that postseason run. So it's an interesting debate. I mean, for Welker, as productive as he was in the regular season, I mean, those are absolutely insane numbers that at the time were – only matched by, I, I want to say, Calvin Johnson and, like, maybe Larry Fitzgerald. And so, it, I mean, he's, he was one of the best receivers in the league for five or six years. Amendola certainly wasn't that, but he was great in the postseason. I understand both sides of the argument. If you had to, if, if both were up for the Patriots Hall of Fame right now and you had to pick one, That's man, tough. I honestly, it's close. It's tough for me. I think. It's, I think I would, because the Patriots Hall of Fame is so much different from the Pro Hall of Fame, I think I might go Amendola. I was but, just going to... Yeah. But Welker is obviously deserving, and Welker has a much better shot at the Pro Hall of Fame. You know, right. so, you know, not saying he's going to get in, but he has a much better shot. So it's a, it's a really interesting debate. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great piece that you wrote because it's, it's kind of cool to go back and forth on those guys. It's, I mean, we can all agree on one thing. Like, if, if you don't have Welker, you don't get Amendola because Welker kind of created that role. I know they didn't run, like you said, the exact same routes. But, you know, for kind of that undersized, you know, smaller receiver, Welker kind of gave Amendola his shot, I guess. And Edelman, too, I guess, maybe, too. Well, and, yeah, and, and that's a great – go, go ahead, ahead Phil. Pat. Well, all right. <laughs> I, okay. Uh, that's a great point, Spags. And what I was going to say is that, I mean, name a, a legitimate slot receiver before Welker. And not, not I don't want to say, it, like, there are slot receivers, but name a slot receiver who was, like, the focal part of the offense before Wes Welker. 
of any offense, forget about the Patriots, of any offense before Wes Welker. He kind of created that position almost. And now you look, <coughs> look around the league and it's like they have, they're using guys in those slot positions just like they're using with the Patriots. Right. And so it's like now you're seeing some of that thing. And that started with Wes Welker in 2007. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, Brady has said something similar too about Welker in terms of, you know, like kind of redefining that role. You know, we saw Troy Brown. Troy Brown obviously worked the middle of the field and he played out of the slot, but it was just a different era. It was a different time in the NFL. You weren't seeing as many three receiver sets. You were seeing it was a lot of two back, two tight end, you know, and, and so Troy, you know, had a lot of the same responsibilities, I think, as somebody like Welker, but, but then Welker, when he arrived, it really kind of threw that thing into overdrive. And that's what you're seeing now with offenses across the league. Everybody's going spread. You know, if, if, if everybody could be running that 07 Patriots offense, they obviously would. Uh, But you have your, you know, you have your classic X and you have your slot and you have, you know, you have, you know, running back out of the backfield who's going to get it, you know, a fair amount occasionally. And if you can use them in the pass game, even better. But, you know, the, the focal point is really the passing game and the guy who's going to be moving to change for you and be, your most efficient receiver. I think that's what teams have really caught on to is right. those routes are incredibly efficient because the throws are just easier. If the guy can separate, if he can get open and you only have to throw it five yards to pick up nine, well, you're going to do that every single time. And so offenses are, have figured that out. I think now guys too, the interesting thing is to watch defenses figure that out on the opposite side. And it's funny that it's taken this long, but you're seeing guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, guys like Duke Dawson, get taken really high in the draft because it's really important to be able to defend the middle of the field, whether it's a slot receiver or a tight end, because again, those routes are so efficient. They're easier throws and they are sure. If they're sure handed players, you're getting guaranteed yardage with some of those guys. So now you have to figure out, okay, how do we stop it? Linebackers can't do it. A lot of safeties can't do it. And so you're seeing these really specialized, roles like Duke Dawson is a great example in my opinion and I, I can't wait to see him actually start to play we'll see if he ever plays this season but right. it's, a, it's a fascinating example because that's a that's a significant investment the Patriots made it's a second round pick and that guy is a slot corner who knows maybe we'll see him play on the outside at some point maybe we'll see him even play a little bit of safety at some point he did it all at Florida but when they used him in the preseason and it's just one game but in the preseason against the Redskins he was there in the slot, and that is a starting position in the NFL now, and you're going to start to see more and more teams really try to, if they can't find them right out of college, try to develop guys specifically for that role because it can be so valuable. Right. Well, and Dawson was a guy, and I, I don't can't remember where I, where I heard this, but I, I, I remember reading right after the draft that he was the number one target for them going into day two. So day two was like, Duke Dawson's the guy we have to get. Now, if we end up with other great other players, great, but like Duke Dawson's the guy that we absolutely have to get. And so like I said, I wish I could credit you. someone, but I don't, I don't, you know, but I remember so give, hearing give that. the credit to give the credit to, to Nick Casario. He basically admitted that they almost they almost stayed at 43, which they ended up trading, I believe, to the Lions, which was the Jimmy Garoppolo pick. It was that 49ers right. pick at the top of the second round, 43. They almost just sat right there and just took Dawson. And they felt good enough about it where they felt like they could trade out of that spot, pick up a little extra value, and that they would still have their guy. Now, that's 
you know, it's obviously you're rolling the dice to some extent there, but it's looking at those rosters of those teams that are picking ahead of you when you do trade down and, okay, does anybody really need a slot corner? What does this team look like? What does this team look like? Or would they even think about taking Dawson here? And you try to do what you can in terms of using your intel and, and projecting out and saying, okay, we feel pretty good about Dawson there. And if Dawson's not there, well, then we have this other kid from some other SEC school playing some other you know, position they find valuable, and then they'll right. just take that kid when they move down. But, but yeah, they like Dawson enough that they thought about taking him at the top of the second. That's a good point. Now, one one other thing about Welker and Amendola that uh, it's interesting that Amendola is now in Miami, and I wonder if losing Welker, and really not even losing Welker, giving Welker away is what they did to the Patriots. Doing that, I wonder if that shaped them deciding to go after Amendola and say, we're going to make this guy a priority and pay him, you know, like a legitimate, you know, number two receiver, because that's what we think he is. And the, you know, the importance of it is kind of almost extra on Miami because they're like, my God, like we got fleeced by the Patriots for a second, a seventh round pick when he was a restricted free agent for a second round pick anyways. Yeah. I think honestly what that was, um, in terms of acquiring Amendola, was the Dolphins trying to make a cultural change. They picked up Frank Gore. They got rid of Indominus too. They brought in Amendola. They got rid of the guys that they found to be problems in the locker room and, and culturally that they were not going to be part of the long-term build there. And they brought in these other short-term pieces to try to show sort of the middle class and the younger players okay, this is how you do it. This is how you win. This is how you act like a professional. This is how you buy into a program, which I, I like as an idea. I wonder if the Gates, who is going to you know be the mastermind behind this whole thing, if it's a year too late. I mean, he's already into his third year here. Uh, you know, they're six and six. So there's a chance they finish with a winning record and, and good for him. He won't get fired. And I'm not saying, he's, you know, even if they finish – whatever it is, if they finish right. seven and nine, is Adam Gase going to get fired? I don't know. I don't think so. And I don't think he should uh, because again, I, I feel like that's probably the move to make there, but this is a long-term rebuild and they brought in guys that in the short term can kind of lay a little bit of a foundation and they're going to obviously try to win some games in the process. They got to find a quarterback if, you know, maybe they feel like they have the guy, but um, you know, they, they got to get that thing shored up especially with right. Gase, that's, you know, his, that's supposed to be his baby. That's that position. But, um, but I think that's really what it was. I think, you know, obviously you get the advantage of hurting the Patriots by not allowing him to, to stay there. And so that helps you in the division. That probably makes you feel good. But I think yeah. that's really what it was. It was all about culture with Amendola and the Dolphins. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we really appreciate it. And again, you know, we know you're busy and taking time out. And, uh, and so we really appreciate it. Anytime guys is always fun. A lot of good, uh, a lot of good meat on that phone there. So, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, it's fun to kick around. Some of these topics. It's, good to, it's good to do some of the off the beaten path stuff, the Welker, Amendola stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I love that kind of stuff. So that's just, that's the sort of stuff this time of the year that if you can, if you can come up with some of those ideas, uh, it's like found money because I feel like, you know, and, and I certainly fall into this. It you know, you're week 13, 14, and you're in the division and the teams right. aren't very good. You're, you're scrounging for, for interesting stuff. So, um, 
I thought a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight was great. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me again. Thanks. Thank you yeah, so absolutely. much, Phil. I really appreciate it. Hey, Phil, before you leave, why don't you just plug yourself just so people know where to, you know, interact with you and find you and watch you and everything else. Yeah, so I'm at uh, Phil A. Perry, both on Twitter and Instagram, trying to trying to get a little bit more active on the gram, as the kids call it, and, uh, yeah, and updating my stories so down, uh, down from Gillette. Uh, whether it's game day or, or just there during the week for practices and press conferences. Um, you can find me there. All of our stuff is on NBCSportsBoston.com. You can also watch every night at 6 o'clock. We have a football show. We were just peppering people with football shows this year. Monday Night Patriots is every Monday, 6 o'clock, with Rob Nikovich. Uh, the Football Fix is another show that I, that I co-host. That's Fridays at 6 o'clock. Uh, you got Quick Slants with Karin. That's every night at 8. Patriots Wednesday. Um, that's 6 o'clock on Wednesdays. So there's a lot going on. And then on game days, we've got, uh, we've got I think, two really good – you know, I'm biased. But I think we've got two really good pregame shows um, leading up to every single game. So it's opening drive is the first show. And that's me and Tom Curran and Albert Breer and Jade McCarthy. And that's sort of our reporting – quote-unquote reporting-based pregame show where, you know, we're breaking news every once in a while. We're using the information that we get in the locker room uh, through making phone calls, through however however we can, and we're kind of dropping it all on you in that show on opening drive. And then the, the pregame live show is uh, Michael Hawley and a bunch of ex-players that, you know, obviously know a lot more about what they're talking about than I do. So it's Mayo and Nikovich and Troy Brown, and those guys are all fantastic. And so um, I think they're, they're, both, uh, they're both pretty fun, both those shows. And so be sure to watch those as well leading up to the game. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned Instagram. I, it, it, you just find social media exhausting sometimes. It's just like, <laughs> you know, you got Twitter and you got Instagram, and then people want to see you on Snapchat. And you're like, dude, like, I mean, I'm like, man, I have an Instagram account, and I'm like, I never use it. Like, I'm on Twitter, and I'm like, okay, that's as, that's as much as I can do. And then I have Facebook for, like, family, and I'm like, I just can't keep track of everything. It's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, it's. I think the, the Instagram one is actually uh, – that one I find to be pretty easy because I'm not putting a lot of thought into it. And maybe that's – it's sort of like – feels like Snapchat in that way. I'm not really doing Snapchat anymore. But, you know, you're just kind of – you're taking moments when you're not tweeting. That's that's how that's how okay. sad it's gotten for me. Is you, you're taking moments when you're not tweeting. And you're like, oh, this might make a decent picture or video. And you just open up your Instagram story and you let it run. And so, yep. there uh, you go. so that that and you, you know you try to throw a few um, weird uh, emoticons on there and uh, or emojis, and uh, you're good to go. So that's kind there of that's go. kind of my approach to it. Yeah, you're, yeah. that's my um, that's sort of like the downtime social media. But you're right. It I'm is, just, it's a lot. It's taken over. I'm just our, like the. I'm just like the. Uh, I'm like the Simpson guy. You know what I mean? Where it's like old man yells at cloud. I'm just. I'm just an old guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's it. So I guess yeah. that's my problem. But anyways, well, thanks, you're, Phil, for okay. coming We're on. We're gonna really get you on board. It. Yeah, hey, you know, I'll, I'll do. <laughs> I'll try. I'm gonna branch out a little bit. We'll see. So love it, love it. Well, guys, thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right, man. Take care. Have a good night. Take care, Phil. Okay. Thanks. Okay. You too. Thanks again, guys. All right, once again, thank you very much to Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston uh, to come on the show. Great guy, um, you know, kind of started in our shoes, you know, kind of worked his way up, and uh, he's he's always been nice, you know, had, like we said on both our podcasts and the, uh, before he's came on. 
So uh, it's always a fun show with him. But yeah, to kind of finish up the show, Pat, we'll get into the up high, down low, too slow of the week. Uh, I'll let you start it off. All right. So up high, we're going to go Trent Brown first. Trent Brown was dominant. Uh, you know, Everson Griffin, who was really the guy coming into the game that everyone was looking at, was totally silent, had no pressures on Brady. Uh, and Brown was a beast, has played like it all year long. He is going to get paid this offseason. And I can't imagine the Patriots are the ones that are going to do it. Although now they're in a similar position they were last year with Solder, who was leaving. And you looked at it and said, well, Solder is going to be gone too. So I wonder if they may go after him. Now, if someone gives them a Solder contract, like, what are you going to do? You know, there's nothing you can yeah. do about that. No. But, you know, if you go after him and they're offered him somewhere around $10 million a year, which I think is a possibility. Maybe Trent Brown's back next year, which I looked at and said there's almost no chance it's going to happen. Um, but you know, <clears throat> you never know. So yeah, he's been he's been a beast this year, and he was fantastic on was Sunday awesome. against the Vikings. Awesome again, you know, with uh, coming in real quick. You know, they didn't really have any trust in anyone to trust Tom Brady uh, blindside, and he, I mean, he's been unbelievable. You know, he's, right. he hasn't even been inconsistent, which you kind of were going to expect. I mean, he's been. His bad games in our mind haven't been that bad, you know. So, no. um, and you know, in our in our next up high of the week, we have James Devlin. Pat, this guy's awesome. I mean, touchdown machine. He's got. I think he has more touchdowns than Rob Gronkowski. Obviously, rushing, receiving. <laughs> it, but that's pretty crazy. Um, and, I mean, uh, we're joking here, obviously. But what Devlin does for the offense is it's it's unnoticed. It's like Lawrence guy of the defense. I don't think Sonny Michelle has been having the year that he would have if it wasn't for James Devlin. Oh, it's not. There's no question about that. Devlin's been fantastic. He's a guy that does everything for the team. He's another offensive lineman. The old linemen go nuts. When he scores a touchdown, the old linemen go nuts. And I'll tell you what, Bill Belichick does not care about your fantasy football team. Okay? He just doesn't. He gets to the goal line. Oh, you get Sonny Michelle? Oh, yeah, that's great. Are you trying to make the playoffs in your, in your fantasy? We don't care. We're giving the ball to James Devlin, and now that's two weeks in a row he's been doing this, and he's feeding Devlin in the goal line, and I love everything. I love it. It's fantastic. I may not love it next week when I start – this week when I start Sony Michelle in the in the, in the the playoffs in the uh, – you know, in, in fantasy football. So maybe this week, Bill, you can give that one-yard line carry to Michelle instead of to Devlin. You give me that touchdown that was six points. That would be helpful. But I still love it when Devlin does it because – He's fantastic, and who doesn't want the fullback scoring touchdowns? That's that's great. Uh, next up on the list, Trey Flowers. I mean, this guy's on the list every week, but, like, he deserves it. I mean, what are we going to do? Like, not put the best player on the defense, you know, week in and week out on the list. He had another half a sack. Huge He's just set, yeah. in the on backfield causing pressures, you know. And I think um, the biggest area of concern for me has been the outside, the edge. And it's interesting because Flowers is on the edge, but the runs to the edge have been a real problem for them. He's stepped in and made some good plays, but it's really the other side. They've just been getting smoked on the edge. And so um, Flowers has really been kind of that guy where it's you can't run at him. You have to pay extra attention to him when you're passing. Oh yeah, And they've been doing a lot of stunts too where it's like, He'll take two guys and Claiborne will loop around and there's no one blocking him. 
And they've been freeing up a lot of pressure that way. And a lot of that starts with a guy like Flowers because you have to pay so much attention to him. The guard can't let him go because if he does, he's like, oh, my God. Like, if I let this guy go, he's going to sack the quarterback. So uh, he's been he's been fantastic, and he was fantastic again against Minnesota. Uh, and then, you know, the other one, and we talked about a little bit with Phil. Uh, well, I guess the last two we talked we, – we both talked with Phil. But uh, Van Noy, Kyle Van Noy, I thought was great. He had, and, and like Phil said, the best game of the season, I think. Um, he was just, he was fantastic. He was all over the place. He was making plays. He was chasing down plays. And he's that type of guy that can do that. I remember they ran a screenplay on third down. Um, and it was one of those things where you saw the screen pass, and I'm like, oh, no, they got to pick up yardage. And he comes from nowhere and makes the tackle on third down to stop him. And it was just – it was a great play, and that's the type of thing that he can do when he gets to play that kind of will-roaming linebacker. And so uh, it's important that Hightower is healthy almost just so Van Noy can play that spot. There's such a better defense when Hightower is on the field in his spot and Van Noy is on the field in his correct spot. I yeah, I say it all, all the time. You know, We're a big advocate for him, um, and he covers sideline to sideline so well. He's not the fastest guy, but – he can get there, man. He makes plays when it matters. I think he's, you know, he he's been playing great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last one is another guy that's been playing really well, you know, and really shined this week, which was J.C. Jackson. Um, you know, and Jackson type of guy that you know, and and Phil, you know, mentioned it, but when they went to the to the nickel, instead of Jackson coming in and playing slot, he played the outside and bumped McCordy on the slot, and it seemed to work really well. Now we'll see if it continues, but he played great. He had the you know the tip on the ball that Harmon ended up picking off, which was a great play by Harmon. Um, but you know that's one of those things where uh, you know J.C. Jackson I thought played really well, and again sets that up. And I guess Harmon's another guy that you know, and he's not on the list obviously because we only have five. Um, but if you know you get six fingers, like there's a few, you know a few people get six fingers, and I guess Harmon will be that sixth guy. I'll tell you what, man, he's one of those guys they signed him. And everyone's kind of like, Deron Harmon? You're giving Deron Harmon a ton of money? Like, you know, Michael Felgerson there. Oh, Deron Harmon. <laughs> he's the closer. He is the closer. Okay? He's the so peak closer. Many, I saw two, Yeah, he's made so many key plays in big games. It like, feels like every pick in the end zone, like, it, it, he makes. It's, it's un, unreal. He is tied with Richard Sherman. He has 11 fourth-quarter interceptions since That's 2013. unreal, dude. 11. So that's what he does. And again, and it's because, and it doesn't seem like much, but what it is with Harmon is that you need a guy that's going to stay back, right? GTFB, as they say, like just stay back. Okay. And some guys, they just can't help themselves. They see the, they see the, the, uh, the quarterback look shallow. So they start breaking on the ball and all of a sudden, boom, you know, someone runs an out and up and they get smoked. And he just doesn't do that. And his interceptions are because they try to look him off and he doesn't fall for it. And so when the throw is there and it's not perfect, he's in position to make the play. Or he makes a play like he did against Minnesota where, you know, the corner that's covering makes a great play and he gets in there and has great concentration and is able to pick the ball off before it hits the ground. And he's been really, really good for them and is a guy that will never get the recognition that he deserves outside of the locker room. But is a is such a valuable part of that team and that defense, and so uh, you know he'll get it. 
we'll throw a little recognition his way as well. <laughs> um, and then we'll go down low. So down low, man, I'm going to start with McDaniels, Josh McDaniels. Listen, game plan I thought was was okay, but they didn't even look. They had zero targets and I didn't to know Gronk this and Gordon. Zero in the first half. Crazy. They didn't even look their way. You got to right? think, like, it was like, you got to think with that defense. Sorry to cut you off. Like, it just makes huh. me so angry. Like, attack, yeah. attack, attack. I mean, yeah, maybe not so much in the first half. Like, not that I agree with it, but if it happened, I'd be like, okay. But zero, like, that's ridiculous. Come out, guns blazing. I loved the no huddle right away. I love that they were playing up tempo offense. I think that's when they're at their best. But hit your best guys, your biggest guys. I, I didn't get it. Right. And I, and look, I know that they were playing on the outside and they were really kind of – what they were trying to do was take away that outside game. And so I, I get it. But find a way to get those guys the ball. Look what happened as soon as they got Gordon the ball. They got Gordon the ball. He catches a – you know, he catches a, uh, a curl route, breaks a tackle, picks up 20 yards. And then for two – what, two, three plays later, you hit him for a touchdown. So it was like – that's what happens when you focus on a guy like that. And again, I'm not saying throwing the ball 15 times a game. Like, I don't need that either. And I think Brady has made a conscious effort to not throw the ball to Gordon every time. And I think that's good. But, like, you have He's to. He's breaking him out in the playoffs. He's it's the new right. Amendola. New Amendola. And hey, I'm fine with that, man. Oh, me too. So, um, but, yeah, so McDaniels is, is my first download there. I didn't, I didn't love that play calling. Uh, next one and and you uh well i'll let you take this one because you're the one that came up with it and i'll, I'll let you take it because i like it yeah so you never you're not gonna find a bigger fan than me obviously we we take it's constructive criticism we'll say uh but for me julian edelman down low um you know he I believe he had two fumbles i say in quotes because they weren't fumbles but one of the ground caused the fumble and the other I believe he got bailed out by an out-of-bounds play. Had a couple key drops on third down. I, one of them was a borderline pass interference, but he'll tell you this right. too. He's better than that. And, you know, that's the big thing. And I know you want to talk about him on special teams in a minute, but he's so reliable. It's just so frustrating to see this. And I don't want to hear the excuse he's coming back from a knee injury because he's been back for a while now. So, like I said, I mean, we totally trust him in big times, but, I mean, really uncharacteristic of him, and I didn't think he played that well on Sunday. I didn't. He had, he had a rough game, and and uh, you know, I I wrote in my in my piece after the game that he was almost becoming a liability on punt return. He hasn't been calling fair catches, and he called a fair catch in the Minnesota game, but he's very reluctant to call a fair catch, which is like, oh well, he's a warrior. Well, yeah, okay, but if the guy skies it, just call fair catch because you might catch it and then get rocked and lose the ball, and now it's their ball. So it's like just. Don't be stupid. If if you need to call a fair catch and be done with it, and so that was one of those things where I'm like, okay, like, and and then he's you know fumbles the ball out of bounds. Now he may have been down there. Obviously, you didn't have to look at it because the ball went out of bounds. But he might have been down on that play. But even still, it's just you know hold on to the ball and the drop passes. You just like, you know, the one that one on the out route was really bad because he yeah. was right there and he just turned his head before he had the ball. And that's one of those that he's just thinking ahead of it. You know, he's just, he's just, you know, his head's already going, his mind's already going, okay, I'm going to try to pick up the first down. And so that's what happened there. Um, but it does worry you. It does worry you. If it, you know, if it continues throughout the, throughout the playoffs, that can be a concern. So um, next one, another big guy, Gronk. 
listen, had a few bad holding penalties that cost the Patriots some yardage. Um, you know, passing game, he's been a non-factor. Now, I will say he's been doing a fantastic job in the running game. He's been blocking very well. And just by him being on the field, it changes the way defense plays games. So even if he doesn't have the receptions, he's opening other guys up because if you just say, well, Gronk hasn't been getting the ball, so we're going to sing, we're going to put one guy on him. Yeah. But he's going to smoke you because Brady's going to look at that and say, oh, you got a single cover Gronk? Well, that's that's over because you're not going to win that battle. So, um, you know, so Gronk does dictate defenses towards him even when he's not catching the ball, but didn't have a great game on Sunday. No, I, I agree. Um, granted, like you said, and we talked about McDaniel's targeting him zero times in the first half doesn't help his case. I mean, right? You know, we, we we're looking at him to catch the ball, and make plays. Not necessarily. I know he does a lot in the blocking game, but that's not really his role. So we can't judge him off that. But yeah, I didn't think another kind of a down game for him. He's been blah all season. You know, nothing really yeah. wowed me. But too right, slow of the week. How can we not? Everyone not agree with us? Adam Thielen, <laughs> get the hell out of here, bro! Don't cut. Don't come at the bull if you don't want the horns, man. That was amazing. Just amazing. And it's, a, you know, it's one of those Derek Mason, you I know, the saw old it Derek Mason. Too, Pat. I was like, whoa. Like, you know, I, I know. Mean? I saw you. I saw you tweet it out. I was like, right I, didn't, um, I was at the game, obviously, so I didn't see it. But, uh, you know, I got the tweet right away and I was like, oh my God, dude. Like, no, he didn't. And then, of course, you see the replay and you're like, oh my goodness, you know? And uh, it was, I mean, that was great. You know, that was, was. really, uh, really awesome. And because Bill, he doesn't take that. Bill's not taking no. that from you. You know what you I mean? don't care and, who you are and, either, clearly. Oh, it was great. It was great. And, uh, you know, but it's all love. And even Patterson was saying, you know, because him and Thielen, I guess, are very close, Patterson and Thielen. Uh, they were mm-hmm. roommates when they were in, in my in Minnesota, everything like that. And he's like, he's like, you know, he keeps coming up, Bill. He's like, I'm going to have to go over there, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was just funny. And so, you know, there's no, there's no animosity. It's not like they hate each other or anything like that. But it's that old – kind of Derek Mason clip. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember what year it was, but, you know, Mason comes over and, and he's talking trash to Bill and Bill just goes, you know, look at the in scoreboard. All right, yeah, Mason. Yeah. Shot, it's, you know, it's, it's on, like, it's on Belichick's uh, sound, uh, sound FX. Right. Best, right, right. best mic'd ups. Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah so that, that's just, great. You know, it's another one of those stealing ones. Now maybe, you know, they might not be able to play that one on his sound. Oh, effects, I hope but, so. But it's a, it's a memorable one. So, but, Anyways, that's what we got. I know we didn't have a lot of downloads, but listen, there wasn't a lot of downloads. I mean, what do you want us to do? I guess we could have put officiating on there, but, like, we're looking at the Patriots, not at the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. I mean, geez, the NFL can't get the Kareem Hunt situation right, so how the hell do you think expect them to get the officiating right? We didn't even talk about the Kareem Hunt situation and how they didn't even look into it. Meanwhile, they spent, you know, ridiculous amounts of time looking into whether Brady deflated oh, the football. Talk about it. It's don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. And honestly, it's it's one of those things that there's nothing to say. Everything that's been said, everything that needs to be said has been said already, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, whether he gets another shot in the NFL or not, I don't know. We'll see. But it's it's starting to come out that maybe it's a consistent pattern of behavior for him. And if that's the case, that's the type of guy you don't want in your locker room. But, you know, who Very am true. I to say? Um so anyways, that's all we got. Thanks so thanks again to Phil Perry for coming on the show. And again, Spags, like you said, he's just a nice guy, man. Nice he's guy. Lo- love, guy. love having him on. Always always nice. Returns our calls, yeah. our texts. So he's and good. I mean, he knows his shit too. Oh, he absolutely does. And that's one of the things that I've been really surprised about, you know, with starting this starting 
from the show. And of course, you know, I, I hosted the weekend worry before and you hosted a few different things. We hosted the show together, but, but like, and now we're here, you know, with Pat's pulpit. And so SB nation's attached to it. And so people see that. And, you know, so we're, we're able to get kind of bigger guys, but even when we were independent on our own, the sports media in general is very giving of their time. They're not getting paid. They're not getting a ton of publicity out of it. They're just kind of doing it to help out. And it's really kind of a cool thing, I think. Uh, and so, you know, and and Phil is one of those guys that like instantly, he remembers that stuff. I saw him at training camp and I was like, hey, Phil, you know, Pat Lane, Weekend Warrior. And he's like, oh, dude, I remember you. He's like, yeah, let's talk again soon this week, this year, whatever. Like he just, he's just a nice guy. And so, again, we appreciate him coming on and uh, and and talking some talking some football with us. Absolutely. So, and as always, guys, follow the show on Twitter at Pat's Nation Pod. I am P Lane underscore Pats, and you are Ryan underscore Spags, right? Correct. All right, cool. I never screw that up, but I always want to make sure I don't. <laughs> so, so that's all we got for this show. Thanks for listening again, boys and girls. And we'll be back with episode eight, hopefully after a big win in Miami that people say they're not going to win, but. I'm pretty confident. I am too. Let's go, Pats. We'll see you next week. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.